Well, it is Wednesday night and it is Word night. And I hope that you come uh, with a hunger and a heart that's ready to receive something from the Lord. If you have your Bibles, you may remain seated. You've been standing in worship. I appreciate that. I'll let you remain seated, but turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter. And I want to direct you to the 16th verse. Going to read beginning there down through verse 22. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 16. Paul writing to these believers who were uh, birthed out of great tribulation. And just for my own uh, remembrance, I went back. Uh, yesterday and today and read again the account of the birth of the church in Thessalonica. And it came amidst great trouble and tribulation. There were a lot of adversaries and there were a lot of oppositions. But Paul, uh, with the faithfulness of God working in their midst, had proven to them that there was a way to live that no matter what anybody else did can lift you above the troubles of life. And part of that is shared here in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He said, rejoice evermore. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. Verse 18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Verse 19, quench not the spirit. Verse 20, despise not prophesying or preaching. 21, prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. And finally, verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. And everybody said amen. <clears throat> Habits are a part of all of our lives. Uh, they are developed over time and over a repetition of certain things. Some of you, uh, your habit is to have coffee before you speak to anybody in the morning. And if you don't get that coffee before you speak to anyone, sometimes your speech is tempered by your lack of caffeine. Or maybe it's a Dr. Pepper. Or maybe it's the newspaper. Some of you sleep on your right side. Some of you sleep on your left side. There are a lot of habits in life that are not necessarily of any consequence, but there are habits that need to be looked at because habits affect all of our life in one way or another, either good or bad. And it's hard to break a habit. Anybody ever found that to be true? It's hard to break a habit. 
They tell me that in order to establish a habit, you have to do something repetitively for at least six weeks. And if you will do it consistently for six weeks in a row, that it will become a part of your life and you will begin to do it not because your mind is telling you, but because your body has become accustomed to doing that. And so habits have such an influence over us, it would be wise for us tonight to look at seven habits of a blessed life. That's what I want to talk to you about for a little while. Seven habits. You're not born with it. It doesn't come from your genetic makeup. It doesn't come from your personality. It doesn't come because you had godly parents. It doesn't come because you're smart. And it doesn't come because you have money in the bank. What I want to talk to you about is something that has to be learned. Something that has to be developed. Because it does not come naturally to us. But when you establish this way of life or this way of living, when you get these particular precepts settled in your spirit, they will affect your life in such a positive way that I I cannot even describe to you the blessings and the benefits that will come from living this kind of life. What I want to talk to you about for just a few moments tonight is the disposition of the blessed. I want to talk to you about the place, the position, the the way that a person who is blessed operates and functions and what adds to their blessing and what brings greater blessing into their life. And they are numbered. There are seven of them. Seven Simple but profound principles. Seven habits that if you can begin cultivating them, if you don't already have them all, and you need all of them because seven is the number of perfection. And seven is the number that God wants for us to possess. Not five of them or four of them or two out of three or Four out of seven, but God wants us to have all seven of these things. He He wants all seven of these concepts or precepts to be a part of our life because when they are a part of our life, they bring such blessing and they bring such an anointing upon your life that everything is transformed by these Habits. Everybody say habits. Seven habits of a blessed life. Habits that you have to work to develop and you have to work to maintain. But when you get them in your spirit, they will change the entirety of your life. And the first one, and it almost seems perhaps... Uh, too much to ask 
but it is in fact a principle of life. Paul said, first of all, you need to learn how to rejoice evermore. Rejoice evermore. One translation said, you ought to be happy all the time. Now, I knew I was going to grate on somebody's nerves tonight, so I'm just going to go ahead and get on with it. But it is interesting that Paul would begin with such a volatile issue. Because the fact is, when life is harsh and life is mean and we have to deal with jerks and we have to run uh, uh, in, in life, with turkeys, it's hard to soar with eagles when you're dealing with turkeys all day long. And yet Paul began his admonition or his uh, advice with this pertinent fact that you must learn in life the practice of being happy. You must learn the practice. I don't think I shared this with you Sunday morning, but one of the interesting things that I learned about why birds sing besides claiming their territory, I learned that a bird does not learn to sing by inheritance. A bird does not get its song from its heredity It gets its song by listening and learning the practice of singing. It's not inherited. It's not passed down through the genes. It's something they have to learn to do. Do you understand this simple preacher tonight when I tell you that one of the most profoundly difficult things in life to do is to learn how to be happy all the time. And yet you can be. To deal with life in a spirit of joy rather than sadness. One translator said it means to be glad-hearted. Glad-hearted. It means that on the interior of your makeup, there is something that circumstances cannot touch. And that is your relationship with God and your knowledge of what God has done in your life. And because of those things, it removes misery from your life by letting more of God in. And that's what rejoicing actually does. It opens the window of your soul so that more of God can come in And when more of God comes in, there's less room for misery and depression and heartache and fear and doubt and all of the other things that trouble us. When we allow Him into our lives, it moves out all the unwanted and unneeded things. That's why the Bible speaks of us of being filled with the Spirit. When you fill this, when they fill, and they did fill this one, They filled this bottle with water. There's not much room for anything else in here. 
And that's the simple principle of living for God. When you fill your life with God's presence, there really isn't room for all that other stuff. So the point tonight is that if there are things in my life that are not joyous, then I've let something leak out of me. Because if I will keep myself full of the Holy Ghost and I will keep myself filled with the Spirit, then there just isn't room for anything else to find residence. Jesus said this. He said, the devil has come and he has found nothing in me. He simply meant as much as he's tried, he hasn't found one area of my life that he could get into and use against me because I stayed full of the Spirit. What a way to live, full of the Holy Ghost. Anybody remember what that was like? (laughs) Come on, wipe your eyes. Don't go to sleep on me yet. It's not 8.30 yet. It's only 8.05. Wipe the sleep and say, you know what? This is a habit that I need to work on. This is something that I need to to get my mind wrapped around. Learning to rejoice evermore. Some things are to be done on occasions. But rejoicing is something that he said must be done all the time. Human nature has a need of being reminded because life is hard and life will knock the stuffings out of you. And if you're not careful, somebody will try to infect you with their bitterness. But if you have developed this habit of rejoicing, there is no room for that in your life and there is no place for that to find residence. Rejoicing is in fact an exercise of faith. You cannot rejoice without exercising an element of faith. And it is a practice of hope. Sad Christians, and that's an anomaly, uh, that's really an oxymoron, a sad Christian. Those two words just don't go together. But the fact is there are sad Christians And I've come to tell you tonight that sad Christians cheat themselves out of one of of the most beautiful and blessed things in life. And that is the presence of the Lord on a daily basis. You see, rejoicing evermore has to do with the word called apprehension. It is a simple fact that you understand that there is something about your life that has been blessed. And there are many things to rejoice over. There is salvation and there is healing and there is help and there are the blessings of God and there is the sufficiency of God. But if by chance 
You have such a negative mind tonight that you say, Brother Hughes, I don't know anything about salvation and I don't know anything about healing and I'm not sure about this blessing and I don't know about God's sufficiency. Let me give you another reason why you ought to rejoice. Because the world is still in God's hands and God's going to have the last say about the world and He's going to have the last say about your life and my life. So for no other reason, if I can't rejoice over being saved and I can't rejoice over being healed and I can't rejoice over God's blessings on my life, I can rejoice that God's hand is still on this thing and God is still in control of every situation and God will have the last say. Read the book of Revelation. It doesn't end with the devil. It ends with the Lord and his people in a place called heaven. So you and I have to keep our minds occupied with things that make us glad. It begins in the mind. It begins in your thoughts. And then it moves to your mouth. The reason some of you don't have anything in your mouth is because you don't have anything positive in your mind. I better be careful what I'm saying right now. Yeah. But the truth is, the reason we don't have anything in our mouth that's good to say is because we don't have anything in our mind that's good to say. When you sit around and you let your mind be occupied with all the garbage that life can put out, and you let your mind be filled with all the trash that is being but pervade every day. And when you let your mind be consumed with doubt and fear and worry and apprehension and all those other things, then you are not going to have in your mouth what you need to be able to say. And that is thank you, God, for another day. Thank you, Lord, that I'm still above ground. Thank you, God, that I still have breath. I still have moving body parts. I'm still here. I still have my right mind. Thank you, God. And when you start letting your mind be occupied with those things instead of what's wrong, everything that's not working, that's why you're sad. That's why you come in depressed. It's because your mind is so overwhelmed by what's not right. Well, brother, use it's hard because that's what I've dealt with all day long. This is why I'm talking to you about developing a habit of, of, of appreciation, of apprehension, of rejoicing, of being glad, of being happy, of being joyous in spite of those things you see in life. You and I can let life determine our life or our circumstances determine our happiness or we can let something beyond that determine our happiness. And I learned a long time ago that what God wants to give me is better than what the world wants to give me. I've learned that what God wants to put in my life is better than whatever the world might want to put in my life. And so I've got to keep my mind. Everybody say, keep your mind. You've got to keep your mind in contact with things that will make you rejoice. Amen. You know what's wrong with so many people? It's old-fashioned stinking thinking. Yeah. It's because we have let the mind of the world or the mind of others 
so affect us that it has become our mind. Paul said, let this mind be in you. What mind? The mind that was in Christ Jesus. That's the mind that you want. So you've got to keep your mind in contact. That means you've got to think on good things. That means that, that, you know, my pastor told me, and I've told you this before, but he said, you know, you, you can't stop a bird from flying over the top of your head. You just can't happen. It's just, you can't do it. But he said, you can keep it from building a nest in your hair. What he was trying to teach a young boy was, you can't keep all those weird thoughts from coming through your mind, but you can sure keep them from finding a resting place. I'm not telling you that you're not going to feel fear. I'm not telling you that you're not going to be overwhelmed by the moment, but you don't have to let it stay there. And when you let your mind become occupied, everybody say occupied. Whatsoever things are good. Whatsoever things are pure. Somebody help me. Whatsoever things are lovely, honest, good report. Hey, you get it. You're, you're, that's in Philippians 4 if you don't know where that's at. You need to go home and memorize. Philippians 4, 8. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are good. Whatsoever things are honest. If there be any virtue, if there be any power, think on these things. Let your mind be occupied. You say, oh God, Brother Hughes, why are you preaching about this? Because we need to develop this kind of habit. A habit that is in contact and occupied with things that will make you glad. You know what I've learned to do? I've learned to turn the radio off. Maybe you need to learn to turn the TV off. Or whatever else entertains you. I've learned that there's some movies that you just don't need to watch. Not because there's anything that, that, that's just that horrible, but it's because they don't add anything either. I've learned, you know, if you listen to Rush Limbaugh and Han Hannity, or whatever Hannity's name is, what, you, you listen to Glenn Beck enough, I Lord, you'll go out and hang yourself. And if you certainly listen to the other side, you'll do worse than that. You'll commit Harry Carey with a baseball bat. I mean, you, you just, you listen to all that. And after a while, my wife said, you know what? I can't stand that anymore. Turn that off. I can't stand that arguing. I can't stand that. Hey, if you're around people that are going, get away from them. Turn them off. Because you cannot occupy your mind with that and expect something good to come out of your mouth. So it has to begin in our minds and then it moves into our mouth. And when it does, something is transforming. You start thinking you're blessed. You start thinking, I have a pretty good husband. I have a pretty good wife. I have a good family. I have a good home. Instead of coming in, oh, there they go again. Oh, I'm not going to beat around the bush tonight. I'm going to beat the bush. (laughs) 
That's a habit you've got you've to develop. This isn't Dr. Hughes. <laughs> this is Brother Hughes speaking. The doctor can come back and correct this later, but I'm just telling you, you better learn how to think you're blessed. You're going to think you're blessed before you ever are blessed. You're going to think yourself happy before you are happy. But if you don't start thinking happiness, you're not going to be happy. I hate to rain on your parade. Say, Brother Hughes, I want a change in my family. All right, start thinking a change in your family. I want a change on my job. Start thinking a change on your job. And once you start thinking that, you're going to start speaking that. Instead of coming in and saying, this, 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 this job. You'll come and say, this job. Thank you, God, for this job. I want to ask you something. If every morning you got up, somebody met you with a complaint about what was not right about your home or your marriage or your life or your whatever, how many of you would be inspired to get up and do something about it? Oh, you'd get up and do something. You'd just get up and walk out. But what if every morning you got up and your better half looked at you and said, you know what, you're the best thing that ever happened to me. Whew, man. Have y'all forgotten about that? Y'all, you, you folks have been married so long, y'all don't know how to do that anymore. Have we, lo- have we lost that ability to encourage one another? If you want a better situation, start talking it. If you want a better situation, start speaking it. If you want it to be better, start believing it. Oh my, I didn't know I was going to get hung up so much on this one habit. But maybe that's why Paul put it first. Because it's the hardest one for us to really get our hands around. But it's the one that has the greatest reward. Rejoice evermore. Don't ever abandon the practice of praise. Praise God. Praise people. Amen. Don't ever abandon the practice of praise. Rejoice evermore. Not on special occasions. Not just on Sunday. Not just on Wednesday. But ever more. Everybody say that with me. Ever more. Ever more. Rejoice. Be glad hearted. Ever more. Because what I'm talking about. Has nothing to do with your circumstances. It has to do with the decision. A choice that you make in your life. Amen. The second habit. Of a blessed life is to pray always. Now that seems a little far-fetched because it appears that he's meaning that we're to pray non-stop. And if you prayed non-stop, how would you have time to do anything else? That's not what he meant. It means that you are not constantly in prayer. By that I mean you're not praying 24 hours a day, but you are continually in prayer. 
that there's not a day goes by that you don't pray. There's not a day that passes that you don't talk to God. That you persevere in that. That you make your dependence on God, not on man. And that's what prayer is. It is making our dependence on Him and not ourselves. And so we pray always. Everybody say always. Pray and not faint, Jesus said. Pray and don't give up in praying. Don't give up on your praying. Don't give up on your prayers. Because prayers never die. And prayers are bottled up. God wants you and I to pray in a continued fashion. Develop this habit. Making your dependence on God. In prayer, on a daily basis, on a regular basis, and persevering in prayer, continuing to pray. Everybody say continuing. Continuing to pray, persevering. Pray always. Everybody say that again. Pray always. The third habit of a blessed life is to give thanks. Everybody say give thanks. That's the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Thank God in everything and we thank God for everything. No? Yes? Why not? If all things work together for the good to them who are the call according to His purpose, why not praise Him for everything? Why not thank Him for everything? No matter what happens... In all circumstances, give thanks. This has to do with simple appreciation. That I would not be here if it were not for the Lord on my side. Amen. I am blessed when I get up and I'm blessed when I go to bed. I'm blessed by the highway and I'm blessed in the city. I'm blessed in my going out and I'm blessed in my coming in. Why? Not because of me, but because of what God has done in me and God has done for me. Why not give thanks for those things? Amen. Everybody say it again. Give thanks. Say it's the will of God. In everything. Come on, say it. In everything. Give thanks. Praise God. Oh, some of you are having a hard time. I can tell you, you're having a hard time swallowing some of this right now. Give thanks in everything. Give thanks. Amen. Why? Why? Because giving thanks is an attitude of an overcomer. Amen. Giving thanks is the attitude of an overcomer. Giving thanks recognizes that present circumstances do not determine my future. That present situations do not determine the outcome of my story. Amen. Give thanks. Praise God. Now that's hard to do. 
when things are not going right. But this is what I'm talking about, developing a habit of giving thanks. The next principle, the next habit that he talked about was quench not the spirit. The word quench indicates the putting out of something, the fire of the spirit. And so the habit that we have to work on developing and keeping alive in our life is this rekindling of the Holy Ghost in our spirit. We must not allow anything to subdue it and we must not let anything suppress the Holy Ghost in our life. You've got to keep it burning. You've got to keep the fire burning. It was the the commandment of the Old Testament that they were to never let the fire go out at the altar of the Lord. Never let the fire go out. Now think about that. Never let the fire go out. Now that tabernacle was not always set up. That tabernacle was many times broken down and carried because they were in transition. But it didn't matter if they had a tabernacle to go to or they were in transition on a path to where God was taking them. The commandment of God was don't ever let the fire go out on that altar. And so I can imagine that as they walked down those dusty trails through the wilderness, it was imperative that those men keep an eye on that fire to never let it go out because the commandment of God was you must not let it go out. Do you know what I've learned? I've learned that it is the nature of a fire to go out. And the only way that you can keep a fire burning is intentionally. You have to make it happen. You have to keep working on it. And so the the, the habit that we have to develop is to keep the fire burning in us. And you know, all of us at times have to work on that particular habit. Paul said to Timothy, stir up the gift that is in thee. Now evidently something had subdued Timothy's fervor and something had brought his his fire and passion for God down to a place that it looked like it was about to go out. And Paul writing to Timothy said, you've got to stir that up. You've got to fan that thing back in the flame. You can't allow that to go out because your life depends on it. Fire will die out. And so you've got to work on keeping it alive. And so Paul's saying to you and I that we must be careful of anything that dampens or chills or anything that renders us cold. The Spirit can be put out when anything is done that is contrary to its dictates. God said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. Don't let anything hinder the effectiveness of the spirit in your life. Be careful to keep the fire burning. Amen. You got to keep the flame. Don't put out the fire. Don't quench the spirit. You've got to keep that fire burning. The next principle, the next habit, he said, don't despise prophesying. Don't, don't despise the word of God. 
Don't ignore the Word of God because you need preaching. You need a preacher that will preach to you. And you need the corrective work that the Word of God does. I need that. I need preaching. And they need the Word. We need the Word. My question tonight is, do you still feel the way about the Word of God that you used to feel when you would come to church and say, Brother Hughes, just lay it on the line. Just preach without fear or favor. Make it straight, Brother Hughes. And then when Brother Hughes makes it straight, I can't believe he preached that tonight. I can't believe he preached at me. There's something about the Word of God that has to be kept alive in all of us because we all need the effects because that Word is quick and powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword and it's really the only thing that I know that can get down to where we really live. It gets down to the bone. And goes deeper than that. It goes to the marrow. The Bible said it goes even deeper than that. It goes to the thought and the intent of the heart. That's the power of the word. So we need to develop a habit of loving the word of God. The Old Testament prophet said there would come a day when there would be a famine. Not of food. Not of water but a famine of the Word of God, of hearing the Word of God. Not just the Word of God, but hearing the Word of God. I was thinking while we were praying earlier about Revelation and the statement that God made about the church of Philadelphia or the church of Laodicea, and He said of them, He said, you need to pray that God would anoint your eyes with eye salve because you cannot see the reality of who you are and where you are. You think you're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, but you're naked. You're as desolate as can be, and what you need is for God to touch your eyes and open your eyes. And so you know what I started praying? God, would you please touch my eyes? Because I don't want to be deceived in this hour. I I don't want to be like the king who had no clothes but think I'm fully clothed. I I don't want to go around through life thinking that everything's fine with me when, when things are not. I want my eyes to be open. And I pray not only that God would open my eyes, but I pray that God would open the eyes of this church, that we could see our desperate need of Him in this hour. Then he said, you need to develop the habit of testing all things. Prove All things. That's talking about the spirit of discernment. Everybody say discernment. What does that mean? That simply means not everything that glitters is gold. And you need to learn how to differentiate between the two. And you need to learn that there are things that are worth something and then there are things that are not worth anything. And you need to learn the worth of things. And this is how you learn the worth of things. 
Not by handling the counterfeit, but by handling the real. When they come to train a teller and they come to train them in the art of detecting counterfeit money, they don't give them a stack of counterfeit bills and then put a real one in the midst of it. They give them real money. Because the only way to really know the counterfeit is to handle the real and handle it all the time. And so they handle that real money over and over and over and over and over until they develop a sensitivity to the real so that when somebody slips something counterfeit in. Oh, that's not right. So how do we handle the best? How do we prove all things? By learning of handling the good in life. Handle the good. Learn the worth of things. Whatever, I'll put it like this. Whatever increases your love, whatever increases your faith, whatever increases your desire to be holy, whatever increases your usefulness, that's what you want to handle. That's what you want to take into your life. Discern the best. It's what he said. Learn how to discern the best because there's a lot of counterfeit and there's a lot of things that will sap all of your energy and time and leave you empty. Learn how to discern the best. And when you find the best, he said, prove all things and hold on to that which is good and let everything else go. Amen. And then he closes. The last habit of a blessed person is to abstain. Everybody say abstain. Abstain from all evil. Now what? Abstain from all evil. Do what? Abstain from what? Appearance. Now, Somebody help me. What does appearance mean? Something that looks like it. Oh, it doesn't have to be it. It just has to look like it. Oh. Abstain. Ah, I'm getting on my clothesline now. Abstain from all appearance. Not just evil, but what seems evil. And he said, you need to shrink from it. You need to run from it. You need to keep away from it, no matter the form or the kind. Basically, what he's saying to you and I is don't live so close to the edge that it would be easy to fall off. Don't live so close to the edge that the devil would have no trouble tripping you up. Lean on the side of virtue. Be more honest than you have to be. Be more truthful than you have to be. Amen. I'm talking about the habits of a blessed person. The habits of a blessed life. And we need to, we, we need to get this one thing under our belt. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Let's stand together before I have to go on any longer.
Abstain. Everybody say abstain. That means keep yourself back from. Get away from. Amen. Don't let it be part of your life. All appearances. Seven habits of a blessed life.